Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Dirt and Sprague. I've never been on live television before, but apparently sometimes I don't watch the sh- I don't watch the news. With Andy Dirt Johnson and Brendan Sprague. Because I'm a kid and apparently every time apparently Grandpa just gives me a remote after we watch the Powerball. Dirt and Sprague on 1080. We'll probably sit around and cook some soups and eat bread and desserts and just get all fat and sassy. The Fan. All right, welcome back in. Final hour of the show, the radio program. Bill Oren will join us at 8.30, but we're kicking off the final hour of the show. On Portland Sports Leader 1080, the fan with Brady Henderson of ESPN, our good friend who covers the Seattle Seahawks. He's got some really good articles up, including what picking up Geno's contract would mean, and then they ended up picking up the contract. And Brady joins us now, a new regime in Seattle. Schneider's still there, but the coaching staff is completely revamped. Mike McDonald is the guy to replace Pete Carroll. Brady, good morning. Thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, how come you didn't go to a random bar and see those guys drinking to break the news that Ryan Grubb was the OC? What did you think of that? Uh, well, I have been to that bar, and I have seen some Seahawks people drinking there before, but <laughs> I just happened to not be there that night. No, I um, you know, I, I felt like Grubb was still in play for them, even though there was the, you know, there was the, the tweet of him addressing, I guess it was a bunch of boosters at, um, Alabama, and he said he's the offensive coordinator. I, I was surprised that so many people took that as some sort of statement that he was out of the running for the Seahawks OC job, just because you know I don't know, a lot of those things are probably pre-planned. And at that point, he was the Alabama offensive coordinator, so I didn't take that as any sort of sign that he was out of the mix. And just knowing how you know how prolific that UW offense was right in the Seahawks' backyard the past couple of years. I, I, as soon as his name came out initially, um, that definitely seemed like a guy that would make a lot of sense, albeit with you know, the one caveat being that that, is, that was a very pass-heavy offense at UW. Uh, I think it was 15th in the country in FBS uh, in drop-back rate over the past two seasons, which is, of course, you know, basically measures their uh, designed passing rate um and then even if you go back to his time at fresno state that the the three years he was oc there they were 17th so obviously a defensive-minded head coach and mike mcdonald is not going to want to you know drop back and throw the ball 60 plus percent of the time so i do think that's going to be an interesting shift for him um but even with that i, I think he's uh, he and Inkstrand, Tanner Inkstrand, were the two guys that I thought would have made the most sense. You know, you, you, you mentioned in one of your articles that you put up that Carroll leaves now and this, the power structure seems to be Schneider, full decision maker, whereas it felt like for years, and I believe it was, Carroll and Schneider. It was a joint venture there, and they built that up. They won a Super Bowl. It fizzled at the end there, so they make a move. Schneider in full control. I'm curious, 
How does the power structure work in Seattle now? I know McDonald doesn't have a lot of head coaching experience. He's, he's pretty young. Ryan Grubb moving up to the NFL, as you put with one of the quotes, McDonald telling 710, Ryan's an O-line guy. So we have a guy who knows how to coach elite offense but specializes on O-line development, and you've got a defensive-heavy guy that had the best defense in the NFL last year. Oh, by the way, the Seahawks pass rush has been embarrassingly bad. I know Schneider's the decision maker. How do you think he works with a Ryan Grubb, with a Mike McDonald, to address the two biggest areas the team needs to hit on, and that's solidifying a dominant offensive line and trying to create pass rush and have premier guys at those positions? Yeah, yeah. So Schneider, he he now has a new title. I think it's head of football operations, and he is now the he now has final say over personnel decision, which you know used to belong to Carroll. So the, the my understanding was always that basically, if there was a tie, like the tie went to Carroll. If, if those two guys were kind of deadlocked uh, and couldn't agree on something, then you know Carroll would he would be the tiebreaker. He would he would get his way. And you know I, I imagine that over fourteen years. There's quite a few decisions that you you don't see eye to eye on uh, personnel wise, and so um, John is going to have that final say. I think you know just just as as Carol did with him, you know it's going to to everything is going to be kind of a joint decision, um, and they're going to talk through things. And and you know John's not going to force players on Mike McDonald that he knows Mike McDonald doesn't want. Um, I just think that you know, he, he is going to have final say. And, and I, and I do think that could come into play, um, especially with the quarterback situation, but um, in terms of how they build up their defense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to be the way that this defense has to improve is both through scheme and through personnel. And, um, you know, I, I think if you put this scheme uh, with the personnel, the Seahawks had last season, Maybe there would be some misfits just, you know, body type wise and whatnot. But um, I, I think that the Seahawks would have been a lot better because I think so much of their issue last season um, was just the scheme just wasn't cutting it. And that, that what Mike McDonald was running in Baltimore was just so much more advanced and so much better. And that's a big reason why he's a head coach right now. So that said, they've got some really tough personnel decisions and they've got to get better in some areas. Uh, particularly up front. Obviously, the two inside linebackers are both free agents, so they're going to have to find some upgrades. But I, I do think that just the scheme alone, even if it eventually, you know, even if it ultimately takes some time to take hold in Seattle, I do think that will do a lot of the work for them. Brady Henderson, ESPN, is our guest here, covers the Seahawks, does a great job for it, uh, for them on Twitter at Brady Henderson. Um, it is draft season, so that means everybody is telling you who they should take, and this is definitely the player they should take. I don't know what position you think they're leaning on, but I want to ask you, they pick up the $12.7 million option for Geno. The deadline was today, and so as you note on ESPN.com, if they were to have picked that up, it means he's going to be back. They do, and so here we go. Geno Smith is back. I don't know what the future of Geno is, if this is going to get back to what it was two years ago, if they can shore some things up. But a lot of people, because Ryan Grubb, Brady, they're connecting the Michael Penix dots. Do you think the Seahawks are going to look to acquire a quarterback in the first couple rounds of this draft? Or do you think they're trying to address a couple other things, maybe think about the quarterback, but we're not really sure there? Where do you think they ultimately land? Does Penix make sense for them as somebody who can sit behind Geno for a year or two. How do you view the quarterback spot for Seattle? 
Yeah, well, just to clarify with Gino, I I don't think he's a lock to to be back next season. Now, oh. the the way yeah the the way the the um basically what happens today is his twelve point seven million dollar base salary for next season becomes fully guaranteed. So at, at the time he signed it, it was only guaranteed for injury. Uh, but today, assuming he's still on the roster, and the report from Adam Schefter yesterday. And my understanding as well that he they will keep him at least through this date, and so that means that his twelve point seven million dollar base salary for next season uh, becomes guaranteed. He's guaranteed to make that, but if the Seahawks were to trade him, then he would just get that from whatever team the Seahawks trade him to. Gotcha. So the yeah, so the the door to I think the door to cut him is probably closed, but the the door to trade him is still wide open because any team that they would would send him to would take on that 12.7 and if you traded him before um his 9.6 million dollar roster bonus is due on March 18th that's the other big chunk of money that he's scheduled to make next season and so if they traded him before then then the team that traded him to would owe him that as well so the Seahawks would you know be off scot free in terms of the $22.5 million in all that he's scheduled to make next season. So I, I still very much think that uh, the Seahawks are going to be open to trading him. And if you look at the wording of uh, Adam Schefter's tweet yesterday, I think he was conveying that as well. Um, so I, I think it, it goes down to, you know, they're just not – I think they realize Gino is a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback who has been kind of up and down. He's a guy who has been great at times, a guy who's been, you know, has gone through some rough patches over the past two seasons as well. And I, I just think there's a question of, is he a guy who can lead you to a Super Bowl? I think they realize that he's better than a, a ton of the other options. And that I, I've talked to people in the building who think that, you know, he's got top 10, top eight potential. And then if you just look at his total QBR, it was seventh in uh, 2022. And then he dipped a little bit to 14th last season. So, you know, the numbers would, would say that as well. I just do think that there's a question of, is he a guy that can get you all the way to a Super Bowl and win it? And if, if, if they don't think so, then I think they could, to your question, look to draft a quarterback this year. Now, um, I do think that they are so, um, you know, they pay such attention to it. It's such a big deal for them, like positional value and, and not just positional value, but, you know, roster value. So in other words, like going back to last draft, I, I I think that Anthony Richardson, I think that talent wise, they thought he was worthy of that number five overall pick. But knowing that they had just signed Geno to, you know, a seventy five million dollar extension, they knew that Richardson was gonna have to sit on the bench for at least a year and also knowing that he's a you know, a raw prospect. They didn't like the idea of paying, you know, a twenty plus million dollar signing bonus. Uh, and a 30 plus million dollar fully guaranteed contract to a guy who wasn't going to be a starter for a year. So could they, you know, keep Geno Smith and then draft a quarterback to learn under him? Yes. I just have a hard time seeing it at 16, knowing that you're just not going to get a lot of value out of that guy for um, at least a year or so. Now, could I see them re-signing uh, or see them keeping Geno and re-signing Drew Locke? Yes. Can I see them trading Geno Smith, uh, re-signing Drew Locke, and drafting a quarterback to to compete for that job? Absolutely. But um, I don't know. I, there's something about the idea of uh, keeping Geno, paying him the $22.5 million, and taking a quarterback at 16. That, 
for some reason just feels like the least likely of those three options to me. Where do you think they're at right now? I know this is tough because they're going to have moving parts, but just how do you, I guess, how would you feel or gauge where they're at in the NFC West? We had the Rams make the playoffs this year. They got stuck in a shootout with the Lions, came down to the wire. I actually think the Rams can win the NFC next year. I know that might be a bit of a hot take, but I, I think they got some good parts coming back. Obviously, the Niners have been the Niners. They've dominated this division for the large part of five, six years now. What, where do you think the Seahawks are at right now? I know everybody's excited about Mike McDonald and Ryan Grubb, along with the new coaching staff. How do you feel about where they're at right now in that NFC West picture? It's hard to not put them still behind San Francisco, just knowing how loaded that roster still is. And, and look, San Francisco is reaching that point that all loaded teams do, where it becomes hard to keep everybody together, and some of the stars are getting older. You know, the, the left tackle is getting up there in age, and it seems like he kind of showed it a little bit this season. Um, you just got a very top-heavy roster there, and and obviously, you know, the quarterback, he's still got another year left on his rookie deal, so they don't have to pay him, uh, you know, but they got to pay Ayuk. And so, um, you know, McCaffrey's getting up there, I think, close to 30 years old. So even all that said, like, I still think that they are a, a far superior team uh, than the Seahawks. But, you know, I think with the, the scheme that the Seahawks are going to bring in and, and the new coach, I think that could help close the gap. The problem is, we've seen over the last two seasons, it's, it was just such a massive gap that you just can't close in one off season or even two off seasons. And so I still think that, you know, they're, they're not going to be as good as San Francisco, but, you know, maybe they catch back up to the Rams and um, you know, I, I don't think the Rams were more talented than the Seahawks last season. I just think they were much better coached. And so maybe, you know, you get a new coach in here, you make some personnel upgrades uh, I can definitely see them, you know, retaking that number two spot back from the the Rams. And look, they, you know, they they were there was not a huge gap between those teams. I mean, the Rams beat them twice, um, but that second game in in LA came down to a you know very makeable missed field goal at the end and kind of a, a botched uh, two minute drive that they should have executed. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I think they could be better than the Rams next season. I think a lot would have to go right for them to overtake the 49ers. So. I'm, I'm, I'll get you out here on this one, Brady, because I do appreciate the time this morning. I know you're super busy. I'm kind of putting you on the spot of just mock stuff because everybody's reading everybody's mocks. The last one I saw from ESPN was Field Yates. Is he has Brock Bowers to the Seahawks. Do you have like kind of a feel or idea of where you think they might be leaning? Is it an offense? Is it a defense? Is it line guy? How do you feel right now today, even if you end up changing your mind in, in three days, a week, two weeks, where would you lean right now if you were doing a mock for Seattle? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I think I would, um, you know, put a bunch of positions up on a dartboard, close my eyes, and <laughs> throw a dart on there, and then that would be my answer. No, I mean, it's it's so hard to know right now. I mean, we haven't even gone through free agency. We don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like. I mean, I, I do think at 16 they are in an interesting spot in the sense that, you know, a lot of the times that they were picking in the 20s, as a you know a perennial playoff team, remember they they routinely traded back, and the idea there for them was that you know in a given draft, you've only got let's say let's call it like seventeen to twenty two twenty three um, tr- guys like prospects with true first round grades, and so their thought was always when you're picking twenty four or twenty five, you're really drafting a second round talent and. The, the level of talent player that you could get at 24 is the same 
as you could get at 34. So their thought was always, well, you might as well trade back 10 spots. You're getting the same caliber player at 34 that you would at 24, but you're also picking up, you know, an extra second round pick, an extra whatever. So I think at 16, they're kind of in an interesting spot where they could be within that cutoff of, yeah, you're actually getting a true first round player, a true first round talent. So maybe they, they do have reason to stick there, uh, but they also don't have a second round pick and they've got a bunch of holes. And so there would also be a lot of incentive to, uh, to move back if there was a team willing to move up at, to 16. So that that's kind of my spiel on what I think they might do um, sticking versus staying. But at this point, it's it's way too early to call it. I mean, I, I do know that if they don't re-sign Leonard Williams, they've got to do something about the middle of their defense just because yeah. even with Dre Jones in there and the big contract they gave him last year, that, that just was not good enough. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, on Twitter, at Brady Henderson, does an exceptional job covering the Seahawks, a good friend of the show. Thanks for hopping on this morning, man. I appreciate the time. Keep up the great reporting, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right, you got it. Thanks for having me. All See right, you. There we go. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. Uh, says don't eliminate the idea in your mind about a Geno Smith trade potentially. I don't know what that would mean for them at quarterback. Uh, but some a team that I think looks at their situation and says, we're damn near right there with the Rams. If we can tweak this thing and improve the defense and hit on the right pieces in the draft and free agency, why can't we be in this conversation second in that division? I think it's a very good division. I like the Rams. And the Niners are really talented on paper. We'll see what they do after losing another Super Bowl But Brady says, watch these. It's hard to lock down where they're at draft-wise, but the quarterback spot is obviously a big one. Ryan Grubb now, the OC, paired with Mike McDonald. Uh, All right, we have Bill Orman at 830. Coming up next, the math is actually in my favor, and I don't think you should still be making the argument. I'll tell you what that is next on The Fan. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Dirt and Spray on 1080 The Fan. All right, uh... We got Bill Orm coming up, OregonLive.com, at the bottom of the hour. 
Uh, I want to get to this football note. It, it was the week after the Super Bowl, and it took all of one show for one listener to tell me, stop talking about the NFL, all of one show. And so we talked about it from about Monday, Tuesday, a little Wednesday, and uh, not so much yesterday. I want to bring back just one thing, one thing. And by the way, we had all this audio. I can get to that next week. I don't think the audio ages. It's the game audio stuff. But we talked one of the conversations, I thought, Monday and going into Tuesday. I was, I, I, I shouldn't be shocked, but I was a little surprised just how everybody kept hanging on to overtime. Oh, not not necessarily the play calling or the execution or the lack of execution or that Mahomes is just awesome and all-time great and the most clutch player the, the game has ever seen. Everybody kept latching on to the Niner players not knowing the rules mm-hmm. and Kyle Shanahan's decision to take the ball first. This, the first one to me was, like, it's not really relevant at all. And I will just go down with the ship on that no matter what people text in. A player cannot know the rules if he's told to run a play, like, go execute the play. Score a touchdown. I don't know what knowing the rules or not knowing the rules changes about that. To me, it doesn't. Couldn't agree more. They also learned it as the overtime was going, so everybody's like, well, if they would have scored, they were going to celebrate as if they won. No, they weren't. By the way, Nicole Hardman didn't know he won the game. He had to be told by his quarterback. Well, you can look on on the one clip. Kyle Juszczyk is walking out to yes. the field when he looks at Shanahan and goes, what do you mean they get the ball? Yes. And then he, he tells him, it. and he goes, oh, okay, so we score, and, and they still get a shot. The coin flip one was interesting because I, I got into a back and forth with Buck because Buck's a Niner fan. I'm a Niner fan. So we're sharing a commonality there. How did you view it? And and I get it. I, I do get the argument. Taking the ball second. You want the information. You also could live in a world where you get an extra down because you know if you on fourth down, we're not punting the ball back. We got to go for it. Right. I think if it's fourth and one and the Chiefs uh, have the ball first, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going for it. They're not punting the football to the Niners because at that point, the sc- any score next wins. Mm-hmm. And so we were going back and forth. Well, Seth Walder, who I think is exceptional in analytics for football, he works for ESPN.com. He ran 10,000, 10,000, Will, simulations of what happens if you take the ball first in this new overtime. 10,000. Yep. of the time, the team that took the ball first won the game. So now look, the math is in my favor of the argument, but what I told Buck, and we kept going back and forth on this, is I don't think the next overtime you see in the Super Bowl or an AFC Championship game or an NFC Championship game, I don't think you're going to get a team taking the ball first. We just watched that team lose. Right. I also, as much as that simulation helps my argument – I don't think we're going to know the math of this for a long time. It's going to take a while for us to understand what do you truly do. He also followed it up by asking all these analytical staffs, hey, what would you decide to do? And more, as many people voted, take the ball first as anything. And so it's, it's a massive thing where everybody's running to the radio and, and YouTube and ESPN and FS1, and they're like, idiot, you got to take the ball second. And then the guys that actually run the math run it, and it says, no, percentage-wise, it says you'll win more times than lose. But even with that backing my argument, I still think this is a, there's no wrong answer here to me. I think if you decide to take a second, take a second. I think I can make just as much a case that taking the ball first is the right thing to do. It's a weird rule 
that most of America was re-remembering if they're football fans or being introduced to if you're Ice Spice. And so the math might be in my argument's favor, but I'm still not sure there's really a right answer to this. We're going to need years of data, to, I think, to fully believe or find out what the right answer is on it. I think the real issue here is we've always thought, take the ball second, take the ball second, take the ball second. And so I think that Shanahan, whatever the math is, because when you look at it, you said what, 50.2? 50.2, a slim So margin. really, let's, it's, it's a 50, wash. It's 50 It's a wash. It's a coin it doesn't, flip. It yes. doesn't matter where you take it. But it matters in the case of public perception. And if Shanahan had took the ball second and they lost, let's say they he takes the ball second, Kansas City drives down, they score a touchdown, they kick the extra point, they hit it, San Fran isn't able to get it down there, they lose it on fourth down. I don't think people hammer him the way that they are hammering him for the decision. Because he made no, the they hammer him for the decision. play call that ends the ends the game, right? Right, but they're not gonna hammer him from a like a lack of institutional control because that's the whole thing here. It's well, his players didn't know, so he didn't do a good job of disseminating that information to his players. He should have done a better job of that. That's why Andy Reid won and not Kyle Shanahan, right? That's what the public thinks, and you can agree or disagree with it, but I think in that situation. You need to just go out and say, hey, I'm going to take the ball second because that is the best choice for me in the long run. Because when he goes to get his contract renegotiated or he goes to get a contract extension, guess what Lynch is going to bring up when he wants to give him less money? Hey, look at the decision you made here. It's like when you call out sick from work. Maybe you have a doctor's appointment. You call out sick from work. The doctor says, hey, you're contagious right now. You shouldn't be around people. Then you go home, you door dash a 30 rack, and you post on your Instagram story, look at me, I'm drinking a, a 30 rack of beer while I'm watching the game. You are doing the correct thing because that's what your doctor said to do. But your buddy that you work with or your boss that follows you on Instagram is going to see that story and go, oh, that mf'er is lying. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And then you're going to get the public perception of even though you did the right thing and you have the doctor's note and the doctor told you to stay home because you're contagious, people are going to be upset with you because it looks like you're trying to skip out. I just I, I thought of all the things to argue or question. It's how do you not block Chris Jones on third and four at the goal line? Great blitz. Call. Or it's a great blitz. Why call. do you not go for it on fourth down knowing, hey, you get a field goal here. Mahomes is going to get a touchdown. I would also say to that, as hard as that is. Do you not take any points? What if you failed on fourth and four? So, I don't know. When you're playing Patrick Mahomes, I think to a certain degree, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Right. And that's kind of the world we live in. But analytics telling you eh, there is no right decision on this between taking the ball in this new overtime versus kicking it. Bill Oram, columnist for the Oregonian, joins us to talk about a hodgepodge of things next. But first, Will with a sports update. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. This is Dirt and Sprague on 1080, The Fan. All right, welcome back in. 
got Joey in here on the ones and twos. Handling. Oh, no, he's leaving now. He's done. He wants nothing to do with live radio anymore. Uh, really excited for our next guest, Bill Oram, our good friend at OregonLive.com. He's got an article up. I was asked to define sportsmanship to some Cub Scouts. Here what I sh- here's what I should have said. We've got a lot of things to cover here, Bill. Uh, good morning. I'm glad you could join us. What was the experience like giving advice to a group of Cub Scouts? Well, it was like my my kids. Uh, Cub Scout troop or group, so it it really was like talking to my kid times like ten. Um, so just imagine imagine that like on steroids. Um, it was it was cool. I mean, so I wasn't really prepared, you know. And as I kind of lay out in the piece, um, you know, his 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 Cub Scout leader, you know, knows what I do for work, and so she assumed that made me an expert on sportsmanship. Which I mean, <laughs> I have my own moments of poor sportsmanship. Like <laughs> I hope we all do, just so that I'm not alone, um, and we can all be a little bit better. And you know, I tried to recognize some of the ways that I can be better and, uh, you know, apply some thoughts on sportsmanship in these, in these modern times. Um, I got tagged on a tweet that showed me the Larry H. Miller baseball group in Salt Lake. And I, I've been, I've admired this group. They've come out strong. Yeah. They've offered to host the A's. They have all of this free land that, you know, isn't going to congest traffic at all. They're like, they, they enrolled a big, a big uh, rendering of what they want in their district and I'm curious, you wrote a really good piece on the Portland Diamond Project going after Redtail. Uh, Dale Murphy has left our Portland Diamond Project for the Utah group, and now they've stolen our other Oregon native, Ty Burrell. So I feel like Salt Lake has quickly passed us up here if we're going to get West Coast representation of baseball. Just your read on right now, Salt Lake City as it stands versus our Portland Diamond Project. Well, I mean, I think you'd have to say that, you know, Salt Lake is, you know, in far better position than where Portland is just because of of what's in place. Um, you know, Portland has, you know, if, if, if you if you believe that the Portland Diamond Project, you know, has the the vision to sort of execute this this district at Red Tail and that they can figure out the the traffic and, you know, and the um, you know, and maybe some some light rail improvements in that part of town. Um, you know, all of that, the fact is it's still owned by the city of Portland. It is not in the hands of the Portland diamond project yet. And there's no real, you know, tangible timeline for when that's going to be discussed, let alone, you know, you know, my sense from being around this and talking to people within the city, I don't think there's a great enthusiasm to, to hand that over to the diamond project. Uh, You know, people in the city of Portland, um, people in city hall were really excited about trying to make the, the Lloyd center proposal work you know, because there was an opportunity for this um, this idea, this dream to also be part of helping lift Portland, uh, the city center of Portland. And, you know, what, Renee Gonzalez, you know, Commissioner Ray Gonzalez, Renee Gonzalez, who, you know, is in the news for a lot of reasons, but... Don't touch um, him on the shoulder. Know, he, he, shared, he shared the piece I wrote and I thought asked, a, you know, a good question, which is, you know, what, from an urban planning standpoint, you know, do we as, as the city of Portland want, what does it do to us to move, you know, something like this, a project as big as this into the suburbs, um, what does that do to Portland long term? So, I mean, there's a lot of really big questions being asked about, you know, just even even the location in Portland. And so to back to your original question, you know, that doesn't exist in Salt Lake. Salt Lake is all rowing in one direction. The, you know, the location has been secured. You know, the project is kind of underway with or without a ballpark. It's right off light rail. It's between the airport and downtown. You know, if you've ever been to Salt Lake, the airport is only a few minutes from downtown as it is. Um, it's right across from where the you know the state fair is, the fair park in Salt Lake City. Um, it's just a very easily accessible location, a very logical location, and they're just ready to go. And so all they really need is from Major League Baseball to say, sure, here's the team. 
Portland's not there. Portland's not at the sure, here's a team stage of things. They're at the where are they going to play? How are we going to make this functional? How are we going to make this the infrastructure work? Um, are we going to get the city on board? Is the city of Beaverton on board? Is Washington County on board? How do the neighbors feel, the neighborhood associations? I mean, there's just a lot more still to iron out with, with Portland. And that's kind of been the problem with the Portland Diamond Project you know, since its inception. I mean, the dream has been spectacular. You can sell the dream, and it sounds gorgeous. And you know, I think we've all you know, w- you know, rhapsodized about drinking a beer outside in, you know, in Portland in the summer, the, the greatest summer days anywhere. Um, but in terms of tangibly moving toward this becoming a reality, um, I mean, Portland's been lapsed by Salt Lake, among others. Yeah, it, it, it hurts. I think they held on to the T2 dream a little too long, and then you know they came out so strong, and then you kind of go away, and it's like, hey, we're back. Here's a rendering, and everybody gets excited again. I, I think it's a tough thing to sell right now, especially as we talk about with Utah. Bill Orem's our guest here, sports columnist for the Oregonian. Uh, kind of a two-parter about one institution. I'm, I'm, me and my family are going down for Oregon State women's basketball tonight. We're really excited to watch them take yeah. on – UCLA, it's a big matchup, big matchups for them this week, and they're riding a hot streak right now, and they're a great story. The other side, not so great. Wayne Tinkle posts the Elite Eight run, Bill, is is 9-45 and 45 in conference play to date and 25-63 and 63, uh, overall. I guess I'll start with that one. Your thoughts on Wayne Tinkle. Should that seat be warm? Should it be hot? Are they not in a situation in your mind to do anything on it? Or has he earned a full four years here? He still has a young team. Uh, what's your read on Wayne Tinkle right now in the men's program? I think it's sort of all of the above. Um, you know, I mean, the body of work over, you know, Wayne's 11 or 12 years now, uh, you would know better than me, 10, 11, 12 years. Um, I should know the year he left Montana, but I don't off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> I think he, it's 10. I think this is your 10. Okay. So, you know, I mean, obviously multiple NCAA tournament appearances, you know, has, has had – you know, has been able to, you know, capture lightning in a way that teams before him haven't. I mean, you go down the list of coaches since Ralph Miller, or at least since Jimmy Anderson, and it is, you know, it is barren. Mm-hmm. So Wayne Tinkle's not alone here. So Oregon State has bigger institutional problems than just um, is Wayne Tinkle the right coach uh, for this program. Um, and I think that those are probably, you know, I think that the, the reality is that you're probably going to remain in this cycle kind of no matter who's there until you address some of those bigger issues. But Oregon State's problems have gotten even bigger in, in the NIL age and with the transfer portal and with everything else because it used to be, you know, hey, like you could, you could get a guy to Corvallis, you know, you had him for four years. And this is true of everywhere else. But at Oregon State, because the success hasn't been there, you have even less of a case for guys to stay. And the NIL is not there on the basketball side you look at Jordan Pope, who's you know one of the best players you know Wayne Tingle's brought in probably, yep. um, and you know there's a significant risk of losing him. Um, you know um, Tyler Billado is a perfect you know Oregon State type of player, but you know if somebody comes at him and throws a couple hundred thousand dollars at him to go play somewhere else, I mean Oregon State's going to be in the West Coast Conference next year. Does he stay? And so I mean it's really just the questions are so much bigger than they normally would be about, Oh, this coach is nine and whatever uh, in the last three seasons in the PAC 12. Um, You know, I think all things being equal, um, you know, I do think that probably Oregon state would, would make a change just in terms of getting a, a fresh start, trying to reinvigorate the program. Um, But when you consider that that buyout, it's going to cost them upwards of $9 million to buy Wayne out of, out of the remaining years on his contract. Um, you are sort of in a transition period where you're going to be in the, in the WCC for a couple of years. There is an opportunity, I think, for Oregon State to 
get its 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 foot regain its footing in the West Coast Conference. I mean, there's a, you know it's just a it's just a different level outside of Gonzaga. I think that's a t- a, you know, a conference that Oregon State should be able to compete in. So I I do think that Wayne Tinkle gets more time, even though that's not going to be a popular answer with some members of of Beaver Nation or many members of Beaver Nation. I just don't see a strong enough argument to. You know, in in an age of really limited resources in Corvallis, I just don't see a strong enough argument or see what is going to be dramatically better or how you're addressing those institutional issues to justify making a change at this point. Well, Ruick and company, the ladies have had no problem at all. I know they were down for a couple of years, but they've had this pretty consistently as a yeah. pretty respected program. They're on a roll right now in big matchups at the L.A. schools this weekend. They seem like the real deal. They got the inside-outside game nailed down, and that's massive when you get to tourney time. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I posted a video on the Oregonians Instagram page this week trying to explain why I think this is such a dangerous team because, you know, it's not just that they have a great player or two great players. You know, Oregon State's really loaded top to bottom with, you know, Reagan Beers is obviously, you know, one of the more dominant players in the country in the post, but then shooters all around her in, you know, Von Olhoffen, Tamia Gardner, um, uh, 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 Hansford, who you know came up so huge against Oregon, and then Donovan Hunter, you know, mm-hmm. as freshman point guard. I mean, I don't know that Donovan Hunter is not going to be one of the best players in the <laughs> country by the time her college career is over. I mean, she is just spectacular to watch, and and you know, it's it's the poise, it's the control, it's the aggressiveness, it's the creativity. I mean, she's young, and you see that sometimes too. But Donovan Hunter has been just an, an absolute star for Oregon State, and I know it's been a little bit up and down, but when you look at their the big steps they've taken over the last few weeks, you know, with the the wins over Colorado and Utah and Colorado and Utah. Um, I, you know, I just think that, you know, she has been, you know, a huge piece of their, of their ascent. But I, I just think that that's a team that has five or six players who give opposing coaches absolute nightmares. And so I don't know what's going to happen this weekend. I mean, UCLA and USC are both really, really stiff tests. Um, and I'm going to go down on Sunday to see USC and Juju Watkins, but um, you know, I don't think Oregon State is going to, you know, I don't think they're going to wilt against against those, um, you know, those top level teams. And, you know, Scott Ruick, I've been surprised at how um, assertive he has been about how good this team is. So the fact that he would say this has a chance to be the best team we've had here. Well, that's a really high bar considering the number of Elite Eight, Sweet 16, and, and, and then, of course, the Final, Final Four team. But he believes in this team, and you watch them, and you completely understand why. Um, you know, I think there's a real opportunity here for Oregon State, and it is exciting that it lines up in a year when the regional is in Portland. You know, you're going to have the top teams in the country, you know, playing at the Moda Center at the end of March. A little bit of a, a precursor to the Final Four at the end of the decade. Um, you know, I think there's a really good chance. Um, that Oregon State is among those teams playing at Moda at the end of March. And that, and that should be really exciting and a reason to invest in this team right now. Yeah, I saw a thing on the NCAA where after a Caitlin Clark's game, it's actually projected to have Iowa and Oregon State both at in Portland uh, for some tourney games, which I think would be electric for basketball fans. I'll get you out of here with this one as quickly as you can, Bill. Uh, Blazers' first half is over. They're fifth worst in the league. I, I think we expected them to be bad. You got any read, any, any positivity on the Blazers right now, or is this just is what it is? Yep. 
That sums up our text line this morning as well. Thank you. Uh, Bill Orem, always a man with great words to share uh, from Oregonian, OregonLive.com, great columnist, touching on all local things. Bill, thanks for the time this morning. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy that game Sunday. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. All right, there we go. Good stuff. Bill Orem, OregonLive.com, summing up the Blazers' first half. We wrap it up. Dirt and Sprague back with more on The Fan. John 1080, The Fan. All right, welcome back in. Final segment of the uh, show this week. We are off on Monday as a station. We observe President's Day. We must celebrate all of the presidents on President's Day in an election year where everybody's going to hate each other because everybody wants an old guy in office. So, I don't. Uh, what? Oh, you don't? I don't. Oh, yeah. Are you going to vote? I'm going to vote in, uh, what is it, Permit r- Commander or whoever that guy is. In Are you going to write in? <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, so we'll be off on Monday as we get ready for a weekend. I'm I'm excited. I got a dentist appointment after the show, and then I'm heading down to Corvallis early. Going to take my daughter on a little tour of Oregon State, show her where me and her mom uh, met, and like, you know, Ooh. where we had class and all our experiences and get some local boys, and then... This is our dorm room. Uh, no, I actually didn't stay in a dorm. I stayed in an apartment all four years. I didn't know they let you do that. Uh, Way cheaper. Yeah. Oregon State doesn't, they didn't have a mandate on doing that, to my knowledge. Uh, I never got in trouble for it. So uh, I got away with it. Yeah. I mean, the dorm is a great experience, but I didn't have a traditional college experience. So I didn't stay in the dorms. I stayed Mm. in apartments. I loved it. Um, There you go. And then hopefully watch Oregon State women's basketball kick UCLA's ass. That's the, that's the goal. That's the hope. Hey, I, when you watch that that women's basketball team, I know we talked about Caitlin Clark earlier. Oregon State's team is legit now. Plus, shouts out Von Ohoffen. That's my old D-line coach's daughter. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't piece that together. She's from Kennewick. That's right. Chiawana. And, the pride of Chiawana. And your D-line coach in college is her dad who played in the NFL and took out Carson Palmer. The great Kimo Von Ohoffen. <laughs> that dude, that was a man. His daughter's amazing. Well, I mean, when you get his athletic genes of... Yeah, I played volleyball until college and then decided to be really good at football and play in the NFL forever. Um, I would assume that your children are going to be good at sports. Uh, So that's going to do it for us. If you miss any of the show, you can always catch it at 1080thefan.com. And uh, we'll talk to you guys bright and early on Tuesday, uh, 6 to 9 a.m., Dirt and Sprague. Thanks for hanging with us this week. I don't know where I was going with that. We'll catch you Tuesday, Dirt and Sprague on Portland Sports Leader, 1080 The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend? 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 